Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a series called Imago Day, where we're learning to see the image of God in everyone, everywhere. Thanks for joining us today. How many of you have looked at one of these this past year? There it is. This, of course, is an eye chart, which is something that you look at when you go to an ophthalmologist, which is something they recommend that you do every year. What does an eye chart do? It tests your vision. I looked at one of these in March, and the result was these bad boys uh, right here. Now, in a similar way, we believe here at Cherry Hills, there's tremendous value in setting aside a Sunday every year to examine the vision that God has given us as a church family, because just like my vision this year, sometimes it's easy to get a little blurry about what God wants us to go after together. And so we call this Sunday, August 15th, Vision Sunday. And as we head into a new school year, we simply want to remind ourselves, here's what God is calling us to to be, and here is what God wants us to do. And so this Sunday, it's a great Sunday if you're visiting with us this morning, either online or in the room here, you get a chance to hear what we really believe we're all about and what God wants us to be about. Uh, I also just want to say, there's been some times on Vision Sundays when we go through some of the more detailed things of what's happening in our church family, the finances, some of the dreams we have, what's going on in various ministries. Uh, But we've made a strategic decision to do that quarterly now in what we're call our family meetings. Our next one is September 19th, right here in this room, uh, right after the 1030 service. So if you are interested in some of the more detailed-oriented things about our church, invite you to come back to that. But let's start here with just a reminder. First of all, I'm just going to ask, can you multitask for just a few minutes? I know it's going to be easier for you ladies in the room than the guys, uh, but I'd love for you to take your bulletin, and if you wouldn't mind just opening that up, because right inside of that bulletin is just a reminder of our mission and vision statements, along with keeping your notes open. So what is the mission of our church? Let's read it together out loud on the screen here. Here's what our mission is. Go and make disciples of all nations. Now, here's the thing. This isn't just our mission. This is the mission that every single church has, friends, to go and make disciples. In fact, if you're on your notes with me this morning, the mission of every church is to make disciples, period. The way we have it there in your bulletins is we want to be about growing disciples. We don't want to be stagnant in our relationship with Jesus. We want to be growing disciples. And part of being a growing disciples is this desire to make more disciples. The mission of the church with a capital C never, ever changes. We are to join Jesus in his work in this world to make disciples of all nations. We believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and we want all people to come into a saving relationship with him. But here's the cool thing. Here's the cool thing about the local church, not just our church, but every local church. The way we go about fulfilling God's mission doesn't have to be the same. Every church has the same mission, but every church also has a different vision for how we want to fulfill this mission. This is the beauty of the diversity of the local church. One of the reasons we pray for a local church here in our community every Sunday is just for this. We understand we're unified in our mission, but there's diversity in the body of Christ, and we're together, and we celebrate other churches who are fulfilling the mission of Jesus, maybe in a different way. 
So just think of it this way. The football season is starting soon, right? What is the mission of every NFL football team before the season starts? To win the Super Bowl, unless you're the Vikings. I'm a Vikings fan. This is just life. But listen, each team has a different vision of how they're going to accomplish that mission, right? Based on their players, based on their strengths, based on their weaknesses. And it's the same for churches. So for two years now, here's what we've been saying. Here's our vision for how we want to fulfill the mission God has given every church. Could you read it there on your notes there? Excuse me, in your bulletins there. It says, we want to see people of every generation giving themselves fully to Jesus and his mission. That's our vision. And if you've been a part of Cherry Hills for a long time, you can catch some of the key words in there, namely the word fully. We want to be all in. We don't want to be half-hearted. We don't want to be shallow. We don't want to be nominal believers. We want to be all in with Jesus. We want to be wholehearted followers of Jesus who are giving ourselves fully to him and to the mission he's given us. And that leads to the strategy of how we're going about that. Again, if you're looking in your bulletin there, we want to do life together with Jesus. We don't want to do life for Jesus. We want to do life with Jesus, right? We're not about works righteousness. We're about doing life together with Jesus, with one another. We're going to talk more about that next week as we kick off our life groups and Bible studies and other things. We really believe you can't grow in your relationship with Jesus without doing that with others. And then last but not least, we want to do life together with our community and our world because we're called to be salt and light. And then finally, kind of undergirding all that, again, last thing there on your bulletins are our five core values. We talked about all five of these in a series at the beginning of this past year. If you'd like to learn a little bit more about those, we'd love to point you back to that. But bottom line, I always think of values like this. They're the thing beneath the thing. Think of it this way. We're in a car driving towards the mission God has given us, and the values are sort of like the engine behind what we're doing, what we're called to do. You can't see the engine, but it's sort of behind everything else. Without the engine, we wouldn't know or have any ability to go where we're going. So that is the 20,000-foot view of us here at Cherry Hills. But for this Sunday, on this Vision Sunday, I kind of want to zoom in in one particular area of our vision Namely, what does it mean for us to pursue life together with our community and world? And specifically, I want to hit that fourth core value there. What does it mean to relate rightly with our community and our world? Like it says there, to relate humbly, lovingly, and authentically with all people. After all, it was Jesus who said in John 13, 35, they will know you are my disciples by what? Your love. And I just got to say, here's the thing that I've been praying about. I don't know how well the church with a capital C church is doing at this right now. I look around, even in my own heart, there's so much hostility, so much anger, so much division, so much hatred. But I want to be a part of a church body. I don't know about you that goes after this, relating rightly in a world that is not seeming to do that right now. This doesn't mean we don't hold on to our convictions. We absolutely hold on to our convictions. But is there a way for us to hold on to our convictions while still relating humbly and authentically and lovingly with the world and community around us? So if you're a person 
who really wants to engage in that, in this humble, loving, authentic relationships, but stick to your core values, I hope this message is an encouragement to you to continue to join us in what God is calling us to do. And so here's what we're going to do for the next four weeks starting today. I want to go back to one of the core doctrines of the historical church. It's called Imago Dei. Do you know what that means? It just means the image of God. Because I've come to believe that if we're going to start to learn how to relate rightly in a divisive world, we need to go back to the very beginning. I'm convinced that over the last two years, no doctrine is under more attack in our world and in our churches than this one here. And so I just want to hold this up as the foundation for how we are to relate to all people everywhere. So if you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to grab that, turn it to Genesis chapter one. If you don't have a Bible, we always have some available in the seat backs underneath you there. Love for you to pull that out. This is gonna be the easiest one ever. If you're tired this morning, that's okay. All you gotta do is turn to page one and you're ready to go. I'm gonna start in verse 24. But before we do that, would it be okay if we prayed together? Lord, I don't think there's one of us in this room who hasn't seen some shifting taking place in the last two years, shifting in our culture, but I think also in our own hearts. And so we want to be called back. We want to be called back to relating rightly with one another and with our community and world. So we pray for this morning and for the next few weeks as we dig into this amazing reality that we are created in the image of God that you would use this as a springboard in this next year to help us to relate rightly to our community and world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So verse 24 starts like this, a little background. We are now in day six of the creation story. God has created light, he's created water, and now he's focused on creating animals and humans. And we pick it up, it says, and God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. What thing is repeated over and over again in that paragraph? According to its kinds, notice that. Then God said, verse 26, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Now would you read verse 27 out loud with me, printed on your notes there. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. I'll continue. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food and it was so. God saw all that he made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. 
Now, before we dig into some of the implications of this, I just want to make a few comments. First of all, how about a, a definition? What does it even mean, the fact that humankind was created in God's image? The Hebrew word used here is only used three times in the Bible. It is besalemhu. And if you're following on your notes, it literally means the visible representation of God's image. Humans are the visible representation of God's image here on earth. Not just me, not just you. Every person is an image bearer of God. This means a couple of things, important things here. First important thing we notice in this story is that we are created beings, not the creator. Now you might be sitting here going, duh, but friends, this isn't such a reality today in the way we view our lives. Our lives are often just centered around ourselves, thinking we're the ones who are God and everybody else has to serve us. But here's some great news for you this morning. You're not the point. I'm not the point. That can be one of the most freeing things ever for your life. You see, the more we make ourselves the point, the more our lives will become consuming to us where we're trying to get everything and everyone to do and be exactly what we want. Instead, what we're told here is life does not center around me. We are created beings created by this God of the universe. And that is a freeing thing. We can give our lives away instead of trying to get everything that we think we want and that we deserve. But the second important thing to notice in this story, it also means, if you're on your notes, that we have been made unique among all creation. So while we're not the point, we are important. And again, I know this may seem obvious, but it's just not anymore. In today's world of evolutionary, humanistic, secularism, human beings have been reduced down to the same as an animal. Maybe we've evolved into something a little better, but still we're viewed as animals today, but we're told right here in the beginning of the Bible, that's simply not true. How do we know? Well, this is where I wanted us to pay attention. It's why I started in verse 24. We notice there's this rhythm in creation story that's broken when God creates humans. Uh, in verse 26, friends, there's this hard turn. What are a few things we noticed when God created the animals? He created them according to their own kind. And then, what does he say when he creates humans? Let us make mankind, humankind, in our own image. Let us Something important to note there, right? There's a big change uh, there. Usually God says, let there be, let there be, let there be. And then he says, let us make. Now, of course, that's been debated for centuries. What's going on there? There's two possibilities. Perhaps God is speaking to what they call the heavenly council, the angels and other heavenly beings that would surround God's throne. Or perhaps this is the first time the Trinity is mentioned in the Bible. I personally believe the latter of those two things. But really, the main idea here is that something big and unique is happening. Another break that we saw that every creature is made according to its own kind, but we are made according to God's image. We're not made like the other animals were made. God creates humans, male and female, to share a likeness, not with themselves, not with other animals, but with God himself. I'm pointing these things out because it's important to notice that we are of greater value than anything else in all creation. 
Can I put it a little more poetically by quoting Kent Hughes? You can follow this on the screen with me. Though you could travel a hundred times the speed of light, past countless yellow-orange stars, to the edge of the galaxy, and swoop down to the fiery glow located a few hundred light years below the plane of the Milky Way, though you could slow to examine the host of hot young stars, luminous among the gas and dust, though you could observe close up the protostars poised to burst forth from their dusty cocoons, though you could witness a star's birth, in all your stellar journeys, you would never see anything equal to the birth and wonder of a human being. Human beings are the apex of God's creation because wonder of all wonders, human beings are created in the image of God, the Imago Dei. All this is just to say, I know this is probably Bible 101 for so many of us, but human beings were marked off in the very beginning as something special and unique in all of creation because we've been created in God's image. There's so much more I could say. One day I would love to preach through the entire book of Genesis. But listen, if this is true, there's three huge implications for us. And that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning, specifically on the third one. But the first implication is the fact that we are created in the image of God means we're responsible to rule and care for creation. When God gives humans the responsibility to rule over the earth and to subdue it, it is a clear message I'm inviting you to be co-rulers with me. I'm inviting you to be my representatives. The Bible uses the word vice regents, right? If he's the king, we represent the king as his vice regents here on earth. Peter put it this way in 1 Peter 2, chapter 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. God in creation says, I want you to join me. I want you to represent me. I want you to literally be my visible representation here on earth and in creation. This means we have a huge responsibility over creation. No other animal has that responsibility, right? Any of you have ever heard of the dodo bird before? Apparently the dodo bird wasn't a very smart bird. The dodo bird had no wings, so they had no way to escape their predators. And so literally, the predatory animals loved the dodo birds into extinction. And at no point did a lion think to himself, you know what, there's only five dodo birds left on earth. Maybe we should lay off a little bit. That's not their responsibility. That's our responsibility as human beings. This is the duty God has given us to care for the earth that he created for us to enjoy. Now, I want to be clear here. When we are called to rule over the earth, some people, sadly, some Christians have taken that to mean we can do whatever we want to the earth. We can exploit the earth for all that it's worth. All I'd say is, is that the way God rules? So if we're his vice regents, if we're his representatives, of course we don't exploit the earth. We care for the earth. If you're following on your notes, we are not here to exploit this world, but to steward it well. You and I are here to represent God's interest in his ownership of his creations. We are vice regents who act in the way that God would act. God cares for and said that his creation was very good, therefore we do the same. One day I'd love to do a message on this subject alone. I might call it something like, should Christians recycle? 
But for today, we need to move on to the next two implications of Imago Dei. Second implication of being made in the image of God is we have inherent worth before we even do anything. Some of you need to hear that this morning. We have built our lives around what we can achieve, what we do, how to prove ourselves. But we're told in the very beginning, the moment you were conceived in your mother's womb, God says, you have worth and value and dignity. You have been created in my image. It's our very being. It's our very essence. If you're falling on your notes again, the image of God is something we are, not something we achieve. This means you never have to prove your worth to God. Your identity, your value, your worth is given to you by God the moment you were conceived. This means your worth is not defined by culture, by the neighborhood kids, by your expectations, by your environment, by your job, by your gifts, by the money you make, by the color of your skin, by your friends, by your gender, or anything else that we try to find worth and value from. You're just valuable right from the beginning because God says so. I created you in my image. Therefore, you have invaluable worth to me, period. Amen? (laughs) Amen. That's amazing. This truth about Imago Dei is so important because of the debates that are going on all around us about the value of human life, right? Listen, from a biblical perspective, humans are not just mere animals. Human life, beginning at conception, is special. It's sacred. It's valuable. To be made in the image of God means we're distinct from the rest of creation and have infinite value. So listen, if you struggle with self-worth, and I confess, I do at times, the imago Dei, the fact that we're created in the image of God, we can go back to that and go, I am worth it. I have value. I have dignity. God sees me and says, I love you. Not because of anything you do, not because of anything you achieve, but because I've created you in my own image. Third implication of being created in the image of God, this is where we're gonna spend the rest of our time, not only this morning, but in the next three weeks as well, is that all people, not just some, all people have inherent dignity and value. All people, not just some people, not just those who are like us, not just the powerful or the strong or the beautiful or the extraordinarily gifted, not just one race of people, not a certain age of people, not a certain amount of money that people make. All people have dignity and value. If it's true that humankind has the imago Dei in a way the rest of the created order does not, then that means there is inherent value and dignity given to every man, woman, and child on earth, regardless of their socioeconomic situation, their ethnicity, their national origin, their physical body limitations, their mental state. There is value to human life that transcends any other kind of life. Listen, it's not that animals don't matter. We're to take care for them. I have two pugs. I love them dearly. We are to steward them well. We're not cruel or violent animals. That's contrary to how God wants us to rule. But here's what it does mean, and this is hard for some of us. It means that even the most depraved human who has ever existed has more value than any other animal. Some of you probably heard of the famous Dred Scott case. 
Maybe you don't know what it was about, but it's a famous Supreme Court case where a man named Dred Scott, who was a slave, went to court in order to buy his freedom as an American citizen. This went all the way to the Supreme Court. And the court ruled seven to two that, quote, Dred Scott was, quote, less than a whole person and therefore could not be an American citizen. One of the justices who disagreed with this, his name was John McLean, uh, he used Imago Day as the reason he could not support this. Look at what he wrote after this case. A slave is not mere chattel. He bears the impress of his maker. He is destined to an endless existence. Do you notice what he's saying here? There is no less than when it comes to human beings. All human beings have inherent dignity and worth because all human beings have been created in the image of God. And so listen, this is why as followers of Jesus, we have strong opinions about things like abortion. It's why we have strong opinions about sex trafficking, about slavery. Did you know there's more slaves today than any time in the world's history? About pornography which sets up men and yes, excuse me, women and yes, even men to be consumed instead of valued. It's why we have strong opinions and thoughts about injustices, about abuse, about hate, and about the demeaning of others. Yes, even online demeaning. We have strong opinions about anything and everything that makes a human being less than a person created in the image of God. Amen? All human beings who have ever been created automatically get dignity, value, protection, and care because the image of God is the foundation of how we are to relate rightly to everyone everywhere in this world. Yes, even those we don't like. We represent God. We are his vice regents here on earth. And so because God gives value and worth to every human being, we too are to do the same. I've heard people recently, especially over the last couple of years, say that issues like I'm talking about right now are not, quote, gospel issues. I just disagree with that. I really believe one of the reasons Jesus came, yes, was to offer salvation for the forgiveness of sin, but he also came to restore what was broken and lost from the fall. Why else would Jesus do so many miracles? Why else would Jesus hang out with the dregs of society? Because every human being had inherent value to him because every human being was created in his image. So like Jesus does, our mission, not only to share the greatest news ever that we can have eternal life, but it's to restore what was lost at the fall, believing that no human being can be used or abused or demeaned because every single one of them, every single one of us have been created in the image of God. We're called to restore what is broken just like Jesus did. And so listen, when we talk about relating rightly with one another in our community and world, I'm just making the point this morning, kind of a beginning into where we're headed the next three weeks. This is the foundation. Imago Day is the foundation for why we live the way that we live. If you're on your notes there, Imago Day is at the heart of the gospel. The gospel, we sang about it this morning, says God so loved what? The world, the whole world, that he sent his one and only son, yes, to save sinners, of which I am the worst, Paul says, but also to restore what had been broken. 
So listen, here's the hard thing. When we speak or when we act towards or we think of people in hostile, angry, less than human ways, we're literally insulting God for what he has created in his image. We're not representing him. Some of us, especially after the two years, I know I need this. I need to be reminded of this. That the way I treat people today matters because it's a foundational biblical issue. I need to view every person I interact with as a created person in the image of God, and therefore they have value. So this means, can I get some specifics here? You may not like me after this. That your Republican neighbor is created in the image of God and has value. That your Democrat neighbor has been created in the image of God and therefore has value. Your independent neighbor was created in the image of God and therefore has value. Your least favorite politician created in the image of God and therefore has value. Your least favorite athlete, your least favorite teacher, your least favorite student, your black neighbor, your white neighbor, your poor neighbor, your rich neighbor, your annoying uncle. Yes, he too created in the image of God and therefore has value. Your mentally ill neighbor is created in the image of God and has value. Your poor neighbor, your rich neighbor, and yes, even your sinful neighbor that is living in a way that goes against the word of God was created in God's image and therefore has value. All of them ought to be treated with dignity and respect and love because that is how God treats us. Listen, this doesn't change our convictions. We're Bible-based, period. But it does change the way we can relate to the people that we interact with because we know they have value. Paul dealt with, all this, dealt with this all the time in the early church. You may not know this, but when the first church first started, it was all Jews, Jews who believed in Jesus. And then all of a sudden the gospel was opened up to Gentiles. Gentiles were anybody who wasn't a, a Jewish person. So here you have this beautiful mess starting to form where people from every background and race and ethnicity and socioeconomic situation, they start coming together to form this messy thing called the church. And isn't the church a little bit messy? And writing to one of these diverse churches going through this challenge, Paul says this in Galatians 3, 26 and 27. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ has clothed yourselves with Christ. Now read verse 28 on your notes there with me. It says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians, Paul goes so far as to say that we were once enemies with God. Do we remember that when we think of the way we talk to others? We all were enemies of God, but God has created a new race of people all under Jesus, created to be rightly relating to one another so that the world may look at us and say, man, there's something different going on there. Again, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about politics right now. I'm not talking about compromising our beliefs. I'm talking about relating rightly to all people, just like Jesus did. This is hard. Can I get an amen to that? I mean, just yesterday, I'm dealing with a person I strongly disagree with and I notice myself wanting to make them a less than person. I want to put them in this category over here. If I wasn't preparing this message, you better believe I would have done that. That's what we do. 
But friends, in a world that is more divided than ever, this needs to start with us. It needs to start with me. See, we're the ones that are commissioned to bring hope to a hurting world. We're to go into all nations because we're the ones with the only message that brings life. We need to bring a message that all people have worth and value, even those we fundamentally disagree with, because even they've been created in the image of God. And yes, even they is who God's son came to die for on a cross for forgiveness. If you're following, it really comes down to this. Our mission can't succeed unless we see all people this way. So let's just get practical for a second today. How do we do this? For the next three weeks, if you come back after this week, we're going to dig into what I would just call three countercultural ways that we can begin to relate rightly to the world around us. We're going to learn how to choose hospitality over fear, how to choose love over hate, and how to choose honor over contempt. But for, day, for today, let me just give you two ideas how to get a start on this. Number one, take time to confess about those you see or treat as less than. There's not one person in this room who hasn't done this at some point, including me. So at the end of the message, we're just going to take a little time and say, Lord, I want to see people the way you see people. And I haven't been doing it with this person. I haven't been doing it with that person. So help me to see people created in the image of God. And then number two, this is my only application for you this morning. Take a deep breath. This is it. If you're on your notes, remind yourself They are created in God's image and therefore have value. All I mean by this is, here's what I want you to do this week. Every time you see somebody, every time you interact with somebody, whether it be online or in person, can you start to remind yourself as soon as you see that person, they're created in the image of God and therefore have value. I've been trying it this week and it's amazing. Some of the subconscious thoughts I've been able to catch, like I'll I'll see somebody and I'm like, created in the image of God. God loves them. They have value. So this is the only thing. Maybe you need a little reminder. Maybe like wear a wristband or set an alarm on your clock. But every time you're interacting with that employee at your workplace that drives you crazy, they're created in the image of God and therefore have value. Every time you're listening to your professor who drones on and on and on and you can't stand it, created in the image of God, they have value. And on and on we go. Seeing every person we come across this week, understanding their inherent worth and dignity and value that belong to them. In 2006, Michael Vick was the first quarterback ever to rush for 1,000 yards in a season. He got signed to all kinds of endorsements. Nike, Rawlings, he was making up to $25.4 million and with the endorsements up to $142 million, and yet he was arrested because he was running a dogfighting ring. And these companies had no choice but to terminate the relationship. To continue to use him as their representative would have seen them as promoting dogfighting themselves. And so they cut all ties with him. You see, when you represent someone, everything we do reflects on that person. God created us to represent him in this world, to go into all the nations, declare his message of salvation and restoration. And I want to just call us this next year, Cherry Hills Family. Let's represent him by relating rightly to everyone, everywhere, by seeing them made in the image of God. Maybe, just maybe, I mean, can you imagine? We can break through the fear and the hate 
and the contempt and the hostility all around us and be the salt and light that Jesus called us to be. Does that sound good? I want to be a part of a church that's going after that and love for you to be a part of that as well. So let me close with this question for us. How would this year look if we or you focused on relating rightly by seeing everyone everywhere in the image of God? I think we could make a huge impact in our community and world. As I talked about, we're going to have some time now just to consider what we've been listening to. We don't want to just listen. We want to respond to the word of God. And so maybe you need to respond in a prayer of confession. Maybe you just need to bring people to your mind that you have been treating less than. To to start this off, we're going to read a famous prayer together. This is going to be our prayer of response, and then there'll be a time of silence. This is called the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. Some of you have read this before, have prayed this before. This was my mom's who passed away in February, favorite prayer. She had it up in our house. She gave one to all of her kids. I have this prayer in my office that I look at every single day. So let's start this just time of reflection, prayer, confession, prayers of hope, of healing this way. Will you read this with me? Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Take a chance to Thanks pray. for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church or to get connected, please visit cherryhillsfamily.org or find us on Facebook. Thanks for joining us.